0: Kutu and Melody, and that's the choice of Mukhadi Mabela. She is a beekeeper. She is a founder of Native Norsi Honey Emporium, and she is our guest presenter today. Mukhadi, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you so much, Michelle, for having me again.
0: We, You know, we got such a callback uh, after you came on the show. Everybody wanting to find out more about what you do, why you do it, and the like. And I must say, being a huge fan of bees, I was like, yep. You've got to be the person that we've got to get online. you <laughs> <laughs> tell us about your first choice of song, Kutu. So um, I've just
1: loved it. And what I loved about the song is that um, they sing in my mother tongue uh, in Cipedi. Yeah. And I first heard it, I think I was growing up while I was driving with my dad. And it was such a like amazing moment for me at the time because it was such a feel good song, uh, a great feel good song. And it was also sang in my mother language. So it just made me think, oh my God, you can be brilliant in your authenticity. Um, And so I've always just loved it. Um, It's just a personal favorite that has always um, been close to my
0: heart. You've mentioned uh, two words which take me into my next question. The first would be your relationship with your father, and the second would be the idea of authenticity. Now, when we read your bio, we understand that uh, your grandfather was the first farmer in the family and that he started this small beekeeping operation. Um, Your relationship between your grandfather, your father, yourself, the decision to take the legacy forward, what was that about?
1: So, um... As I explained before, unfortunately, I've never met my grandfather, but he was actually a a, a, a crop and livestock farmer. But because he um, understood farming and the role of bees in, in farming, he had some beehives that he kept for pollinating his crops. And that is where my father's uh, interest in, in beekeeping started. So he was not necessarily taken by the rest of what his dad did but particularly the beekeeping. And he then turned it into a career, you know, as he um, evolved as a person and uh, he did beekeeping full-time. So by the time he made this decision, we were growing up, we were observing what was happening around us, and we knew that this is what our dad did. This is where our bread and butter came from. This is what paid our school fees. And um, that was all that it was. And I then, you know... um, Because you you,
0: you didn't start out as a beekeeper. You you were in international relations. And you shifted across to that little furry creature, the bee.
1: (laughs) So, Michelle, I was a full-on urban girl living my best life, staying in town, doing what girls my age did, buying nice cars, going to work. Um, And I was just um, exposed to, um, I can call it honey food. You know, as I was working because people would, you know, consume honey and they were convinced that they were having real honey. And I stepped in and I'm like, guys, but you do realize that this is not the best honey you can actually get for yourself. And they were like, but what do you mean? I'm like, I'm not going to say much. I'm going to bring you some of what my father makes. Mm. And that's how it actually snowballed into a huge demand of honey, which we were not ready for. And to actually secure the supply that we needed, because we soon found out that the honey that we made or that my father made was not enough. For the demand um, that wanted the honey. And he then suggested that I get a beehive so that I can be able to learn beekeeping. And maybe, you know, use that skill to help me to secure my own supply. And that's how I then got into beekeeping. So it was not the intention. So I actually started appreciating what I was doing after I had started um, the intention while I was trying to secure more honey was not to take over a legacy.
0: So as a very young child, you weren't the kid that was like following your dad in a little white outfit with a net, uh, a net over your face. It only happened much, much later.
1: It happened much later. I wish it was that way because it would have been quite romantic. <laughs> 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 but it was actually not like that at all. If anything, whenever he went for his beehives um, inspections with us, we were so annoyed because he was like, you know, eating into our playing time with our friends. And we're like, but can this man just get it over and done with? And I think also from his side, when he looks at it now, he wishes he would have gotten us more involved because I don't think he thought that any of his daughters would be interested in taking over his legacy. So I think if... Also on his side, he he involved us more, um, and he made us love beekeeping more from a young age. I think maybe the story would have been different, but obviously none of us knew better at
0: the time. Yeah, Mukhari, you know, I mean, you are a, a hard-headed businesswoman as well, but when we talk about bees, we're talking about a community. We're talking about how bees operate. As teams, we're talking about so many different things, and there are so many books that have been written about bees and how they operate in the world, so to speak. What is it about them that you find intriguing and interesting, obviously with regards to your business, but perhaps otherwise as well? So,
1: bees are matriarchs. Um, that is the first thing that is most important or similar to myself and how they actually operate. They operate, um, being led by a queen and, um, the queen has pheromones which keep the hive close or help the bees to identify their family, which is the swarm, and also their location, which is where the swarm will be. Um, and they take directives from, from, from the, 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 the queen. So that is the first thing that I find uh, that resonates with me as a person mm. um, and, and and what I stand for. You know, um, the importance of of women in society and how their presence helps to actually keep communities together, keep families together, and help them to operate at the optimum levels. And another thing is, 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 is how, um, you know, Bees operate as a community. I'm communal. I'm from an African uh, background. And we operate a lot like that. Um, we, 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 we operate in clans. We operate in, in very, very close-knit communities. Um, and bees, that's how they actually optimally function. They, they depend on each other. They use the, 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 the concept of, of, of Ubuntu to be able to work. You need another bee to be able to, you know, finish. So the one bee will collect the pollen. The other bee will be responsible for fanning it. The other one will be responsible for ensuring that it's fully kept. And the other one will be responsible for ensuring that no other bees or other pests will be able to enter a beehive. So no bee can function in isolation. They need each other, um, and then also the last thing is how important the work that they do is um, is not just for themselves because uh, an average bee uh, dies in in about um, sixty days so. in thirty to sixty days, depending on the kind of bee it is. So whatever work they do is not for them but for those who are to come. Hmm. Um so I I, I I resonate with that a lot because it also talks about how my family did things, um, even though, you know, um you, it was not always the, the intended plan, but we work now so that, you know, our families in future can be able to have a better life. Are and you, I think that's what sustainability talks about.
0: And I, and I see that uh, the uh, Native Norsey honey team consists uh, of many of your family members as well. So they're all part of the game. Yes. Um well they didn't have a choice because <laughs> <laughs> when the
1: company started we didn't have the capacity to hire people, so guess which ones were the first people that I could exploit? Yeah. But um even then um I know my father is the main beekeeper even for native North. Um he is the the, the the head of operations and he is the one who helps us a lot with the technical aspects of the operation because obviously he has more experience than any of us with regards to beekeeping. And then we have my sister, which helps a lot with the sales. Um, And she's the cheerleader. She's the cheerleader. Yes, she's the cheerleader. And she's the one who makes sure that the honey gets sold. And then there's my husband who shame, I I rope in for everything that needs assistance in between. So if we have to go on a site visit at night or we have to go move bees or he has to help us to set up something, even because he's a professional developer. So even when we need to, you know, when we've got a new laptop and he has to set it up and like whatever needs to be done, he just has to fill in all the spaces. Um, and But luckily now we've got employees which are permanently um, uh, uh, employed by Native North sea and they have really then uh, helped to take off the load that was, you know, on my family uh, due to us starting and not having, you know, the means for paying the capacity that we needed.
0: So, Mughadi, you you talked about uh, moving the bees, and I'd like to come to that in a quick moment, but before we go there, I've just been reading something recently about bees being able to identify facial features, and they've been testing whether or not bees can do it, and it's a kind of uh, weird situation where it may not actually be the facial features but it might be um, the honey that the bee gets out of the facial features or whatever the case may be. Have you been uh, following any of that stuff? So, yes. Um, bees don't see like we
1: see. Um, I don't know if you watch National Geographic or whatever. Sometimes when they look at um, the views of animals, Pixelated. Um, Yeah, it will be colors um, and it will be shapes and it will be sizes. Yeah. Um, and also if, 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 if those who are listening are not, uh, if you're looking through a microscope and you are like seeing like what it's reflecting, it will normally be like, um, a, 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 a rainbow of a, of a circle or something of that sort. And that's how bees identify everything. Um, And I think that is how then the relation between identifying features um, of bees will come in. Um, And they, they, that's how they identify flowers, that's how they identify location, and um, that is how they will identify a feature. So it could be a flower, it could be water, it could be, I don't know, a beehive. Um, they, they they use magnetic fields, if I can say, to be yeah. able to identify features. Um, so it will be obviously specific to whatever it is that they're trying to identify.
0: So there's never a case of uh, one of those little worker bees going, Oh, there come Machadi, our favourite human being our favourite human bee. They might be saying as well, Machadi. You talked about moving bees. I know that you you don't. Um, if I'm not mistaken, you don't have um, beehives in your on your own place, but you have beehives on different farms. Is that correct?
1: So that is correct. Um, um, we do not have a farm. Uh, we recently got our own, you know, shop. But outside of that, we really depend on a community of farmers who are growing different crops uh, at different seasons so that our bees can be placed on their farms to be able to have food and nectar and pollen that can assist them to, one, to live, and two, to make honey. Um, And so where moving bees come in is that at different seasons, um, say the one spot where they are has run out of food. So say the avocado um, is out of season, the flowering of avocados is out of season. We then have to identify another farm (laughs) which has food and which has water where we can move the bees so that they can be there for another three to four months until that crop is out of season. Um, And then we move it for that, for them to, to, to continue to have food. And we also move it for pollination. We don't only use the beehives to make honey. In fact, we make less money from making honey than we do from pollination. That's our other service offering where we actively take bees to farms where the farmers are growing something and they need a pollinator to help them to have a superior quality fruit and to also help them to um, yield a greater number of whatever crop that they're growing. Yeah, and this is what bees do. So the bee the, the farmers will seek our services to be able to help them to
0: actually have a better crop. That, I'm I'm so interested in how that works. So basically you you rent out your bees. So that's exactly what it
1: is. The yeah. farmers will rent out our bees and then we will then take our beehive to their farm in different stages depending on the speed of flowering of whatever flower um, that needs to be pollinated. So say the, the season is starting, we don't just take all the gleehives there, depending on what the agronomist will decide yeah. on on the speed of the of, of, of the flowering, and then we'll take our bees there. So it could be the lychees, it could be macadamia nuts, it could be avocados, it could be sunflowers. And then we take the bees at different uh, times until such time that is the peak flowering season. And then as the flowers start to decline, then we take off our bees from the farm at the very stages that we started with.
0: So the bees don't have a choice as to which flower they're going to pollinate would be my first question. And then linked to that, I imagine that depending on the flower that they pollinate, you then get the honey that uh, becomes different and is different that you like.
1: Yeah, so the bees do have, um, do have a choice um, oh. with regards to the flowers that they go to. However, you'll find that uh, for the indigenous vegetation, maybe in the area that the bees are feeding on, the food is not enough. Or maybe, uh, the, the, so like looking at the time now where we are about to go into winter and then the food in, in, in your normal indigenous uh, uh, um, plantations are not enough because our indigenous flora does not grow during this time. Um, then we will then take them to maybe a blue gum plantation, for example. And then in that way, because the bees do not have a great variety, they will then um, go to whatever variety is available. Um, and then you ask a second question. I no, I think that well. I think
0: that that kind of answers it. It's a bit like a bee um, menu. You like saying to a bees, "Would you like? What would you like to do? Do you want avocado, blue gum?" The choice is yours. I can just see the bee, like, like going, you can just give us a tick or a yes. cross. Like, <laughs> Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. The other thing that I wanted to mention as part of your second question was that not all the crops we take our bees to pollinate have enough nectar. Yeah. Um, so, for example, we sometimes, when we pollinate the apple, we don't have to worry about food. There's enough pollen and there's enough uh, nectar. And then when you go to the sunflowers, for example, there's lots of pollen, there's lots of nectar. But if you go to the blueberries, they do not have enough of both. So we keep the bees there for a shorter time. And if there is a need which we avoid, is feeding them pollen, um, pollen supplements. And yeah. then that's where we take the natural pollen that the bees make. And then we feed it back to the bees so that they can be able to sustain themselves during the time. So depending on what you are you are pollinating, um, you will have to then it will inform how long the bees are there because you 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 ideally want the bees to live and not starve because you want more money. Um, you are going to ensure that they have the best conditions to be able to thrive.
0: Mukhari Mabela is our guest presenter today we're talking all things bees she's a beekeeper and the founder of native Norsi Honey Emporium and uh, I'm just reading off a tweet that came through from Nkululeko saying bee farming is so underrated in our rural communities and yet the African bee produces the highest quality honey the EPWP program needs to venture into farming to enhance honey exports for rural livelihoods certainly something that uh, I would agree with as we go forward when we come back after sports, we're going to be chatting to Mukhadi's guests and also playing one of her tracks. Beautiful track, Asa and Ea Daba. And that's the choice of our guest presenter today, Mukhadi Mabela from uh, the honey-making, bee-making uh, person that she is. Mukadi, the choice of that particular song, Asa, absolutely fabulous. Uh, why have you chosen her for today?
1: Like, how amazing is that song? It just mm-hmm. brings you calm. It just, you know, it centers you. So I um, first heard about Asa. It was like on, I think we're still at Channel O on TV or something. And I heard a song and it was so amazing. So I thought, no, I'm going to try and get her album. And then I got the album and I heard the song. I had no idea what it was about for the longest time. And it, like, it was so amazing. And only... After some time, like I think four years after it was one of my favorites from that album, I realized it's talking about a new day and new yeah. beginnings and joyness and goodness um, and just, you know, the ability to start over and recenter yourself at the beginning of each day. Uh, so it's about just new opportunities and recreating yourself and just being able to start over. So I, I really, really love that song.
0: Well, you've certainly been someone who has done exactly that. Let's look at your first guest, Mahatla Tepe Lepale, um, the founder of the Pono Le Pele Reading Club. Why have you invited Makatla onto the show with you?
1: I, I absolutely love Mahatla because she is um, she has every reason not to do what she's doing. And yet, against all odds, she continues to do it because there's a greater purpose. She um, stays in a rural village, which is about 30 minutes outside of Polokwane. And um, there, obviously, you know, our rural communities are disadvantaged. They don't have amenities. And she could have been just another citizen from the village, but yet she chose to, you know, start a reading club to Mm. improve the literacy in in that community and also to keep kids busy and away from the street. She is a mother. She is a wife, you know, so it's not as if she does not have a hands full. Um, but she really just decided, you know, to start this amazing venture of hers, which is making such a great impact. And I thought, you know, she mirrors so much of, of me in herself. And I decided she has to, has to be my guest for the day. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Mahatla, you have to, have to be the guest for today. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you
1: for having me.
0: Perhaps you could uh, describe to our listeners what you do with uh, the not-for-profit organization, the Pone Lopele Reading Club. You focus on all sorts of different projects for um, kids in the Bitlokwe village. Tell us about that.
1: Uh, Pone Lopele Reading Club and Library is a literary organization that was founded in 2015. So basically what we do We are promoting literacy. We are promoting reading and writing so that uh, the children can develop the love of books at an early age because uh, when we started, we started as only six children from the neighborhood and uh, we started in a home garage. Hmm. Then when the number grew, we realized that we need to expand now. And after we received an overwhelming support from donation of books and many other things, we realized that, no, man, we need a library. And at that time, we didn't have resources. So my husband bought me a shack and a teen shack for that matter. So the teen shack became our library. So what we do, we're focusing on reading, writing, poetry, drama. Children also play, play um, educational games like chess. They also... Play uh, Scrabble and many other games that uh, promote their, you know, stimulate their minds. So, but now, fortunately, we've got a, a building structure that serves as our library.
0: So, Mahatla, how many kids are you servicing right now?
1: We are having 60 children in our library.
0: Yeah, every single day.
1: Uh, because of COVID, we no longer have them on. Every single day. So they come on weekends and I do have a a retired uh, lady who assists me with the children, Mrs. Machaka. She assists me with the children. And I forgot to greet Mohadi. Hi, Mohadi.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So I I want to ask both of you. I mean, what's quite clear is that both of you um, are extremely experienced with the idea of starting something from scratch, so, Machatla, you, you've started the Not-For-Profit uh, Reading Club from scratch. Uh, Mohari you started your business, uh, your native Norsi, from scratch. What were some of the learnings that you had to um, really engage with as you did that? Machatla? I'll start with you. You know, when you are armed with
1: uh, passion, and dedication and a strong support system. We just realized that nothing is impossible because one of the things that I learned is that I don't have to have much expectation from society, from, you know, government, from business people to come running to support my initiative because it's a good initiative. I just had to learn hard way that um, when you do something, you must do it because you love it, not because yeah. you are expecting people to come flocking to your initiative to support you and all these kind of things. Because when we started, uh, it was really a rough journey because you've got a lot of children, you don't have where you can accommodate them. And then you knock in government departments, you knock in business people, you know, and then you expect these people because what you're doing, you are promoting literacy to children. You are not only building Children in Wotokwa, but you are contributing to society at large. But when you don't receive the support that you expect, you don't give up and say that, you know, people don't care about what I'm doing. But you move on because you've got a strong support system in a form of your family, in a form of your friends. You yeah. know, your close uh, squad, they 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 keep telling you that, you know what, continue to do this thing because you're not doing it for anyone else, but it's because of your passion. You know, some, they even say that is my calling. I've been called to this, you know, to this world to assist those who can be able to assist themselves. So I've learned that don't rely too much and don't have too much expectation from society. Just do your thing. Uh, You will fall along the way, but it doesn't mean that you have to stop and say that, you know, I'm giving up. Uh, It has been six years since we started Bonelope and we haven't received, you know, um, enough support from government. But we have not, uh, you know, said that we can't continue. We can't move on. And we have been running the organization so well without much resources.
0: Sure. Uh, Passion, Mohadi, is that the driving force for you? That
1: too, but I just want to latch on something that my guest said. Um, you know, nobody is going to take that time to stop and look at an idea of somebody who's sitting in a corner. Yes. Everybody is going to be interested in a moving vehicle. So like Mahata was saying, um, you know, she started with nothing. But because she continued... Uh, that's where her interest came from. I don't know if you're aware that she was part of the Mail and Guardian Top 200 for last year. Yep. Um, and she would not have received those accolades if she sat in her corner and said, I've got a reading idea, but nobody wants to support me. The donations she has received and the support that she has received are because she started something. And that is exactly Native Norsi's story. You know, I started, nobody's a beekeeper of my, of, of like, who looks like me. Um, You know, beekeepers are not young, they're not blacks, they're not females. um, And I had every reason not to do it. Um, And if I had sat there with my idea... Nothing was going to come out of it. But because I started something, people started coming through. um, And that's how my business grew. And that's where I find myself today, that I see that a lot of stuff that I learned and a lot of stuff that I achieved was because I decided to get up and start something. Um, And as I was going, that's how Native Nurses' success came about.
0: You know, you've both mentioned something which is truly entrepreneurial. And I don't want to highlight it again, but I am going to highlight it again because I think it's so critical, is that anybody can have an idea, and the idea can be great. But unless you're able to put your kind of shoulder to that idea and push it forward so that it starts to roll like a wheel and gain momentum, no one else is going to be interested. And it seems to me, Mohari that that's what both you and Mahatla are talking about. Definitely.
1: Um, and if if, if, if you, you realize... Um, You don't want to associate yourself with a loser, Michelle. You're not going to sit around and just say, oh, my God, uh, this person has nothing. You know, you are going to be interested in interviewing people who have done something with their lives. Um, And that's uh, that's unfortunately how it is. You have to get up and with the little that you have, you know, um, you have to do something. I get a lot of people who say um, I'm interested in beekeeping. And I'm like, what exactly are you interested in? And then they'll say everything. And I'm struggling to help those kind of people because they they are not self-starters. I'm interested in people who saying, look, I am trying to come up with a beehive. I've bought wood. This is what I've come up with. But the bees are not coming. What am I doing wrong? And because you started something, it's easier for me to assist you and to be able to be interested in your story and, and invest myself in it because you've already invested in yourself.
0: I have to ask you something quickly before we go on to your your guests. Um, when you do, can one buy bees, or do or do you just build a beehive and then they come? So you have to build a beehive with wood,
1: and then you um, have to uh, put a, an, an attractant. So with beehives, we normally treat them in waxol, and then we um, also then put some beeswax inside. Or we put on an element like grass root, what is it, lemongrass oil, Ah. because lemongrass oil smells like the pheromone of the queen bee. So you must use a natural attractant that will be able to come to the beehive um, that will assist the bees to actually locate the beehive. But then bees like their own thing. So sometimes you can do that and they can just choose to go into a roof cavity instead of your beehive. So it's all about luck. But you do what you can on your side to ensure that you've created a conducive environment that the bees will prioritize over any other habitat
0: So ladies, all I can say is if you want to be the queen bee, lemongrass oil just rub <laughs> it on your wrists and see how lucky you get Mahatla, I'm going to stay with bees, and one of the things that you teach your kids, um, or you offer your kids, is the spelling bee which I've always, maybe because I love bees, but I've always loved the idea of the spelling bee that, how, do they, how do they get into it? How do they love it? How do you even work with them on that? Um, it's, it's an
1: incredible journey because I remember two years back uh, we were invited in spelling bee competition in Dendron, Mughati. Yeah. So it was, uh, it was, and we went there as a, an organization. We were the only organization because participants were schools. So we just took our chance. I remember at that time we were not really into spelling bee, but when the invitation came, because we are always ready for a challenge. I gathered the kids and I said, kids, we've got an invitation to go to a Spelling Bee competition. We've never done this, but we want to go there and do our thing. And we practiced, I think we did not even receive the words that they are going to use there. So we just practiced using our own words. So when we go to the competition, you know, the kids, they did so well that I was amazed at the fact that they were only an organization, they were not wearing a school uniform like other kids, and they did not receive weight prior the competition. But the manner in which they carried themselves, you yes. could see that these are young leaders, Like, and they did exceptionally well in that competition, that I realized that I'm not only raising literary giants, but I'm also raising leaders, responsible citizens, who are ready for any challenge. So... Since that competition, we have incorporated uh, spelling bee as part of our activities at Bonellopele, and love it has it. been an incredible journey.
0: Michatla, if people want to get hold of you and support uh, your Bonellopele Reading Club in Botlokwa Village. How do they do so? Uh,
1: people can go to our Facebook page. It's called Bonellopele Reading Club and Library. Like our page. Slide into our page DM because we are always ready to, you know, receive their inboxes. And they can also uh, communicate with me on my Facebook as Mahata on Facebook. And also there's a lady I'm working with who is Malatelo Ramalaza. They can also inbox her on Facebook. But they can also send me an email on Mahata at gmail.com. They can also call me on 073 565 one
0: eight nine zero. An excellent project to support, Makhatla that number oh seven three five six five one eight nine zero. If you are in the area, maybe you're not even in the area, that's the way to go. Your next guest, Muhade, is uh, someone whose product you actually sell on your website, but you also sell in your store as well. It is uh, none other than the House of Indiza. It's an indigenous tea brand. Khaladi Tema Setocha is on the line. Tell us about your second guest briefly.
1: So um, I absolutely love her. When I was starting with uh, beekeeping and I had a dream of having a small little shop, um tea was obviously a no brainer you have honey with tea and i always thought that i would start a tea brand and that tea would be you know consumed together with my honey and i was very adamant in my tea being indigenous and my tea celebrating the medicinal properties of what nature offers us as africans and also how we grew up using teas and herbs to actually ail certain conditions um, and lifestyle conditions and when i met haladi she was doing exactly what i dreamed of but hers was much more amplified than what I had thought was possible. She was breaking barriers and she was breaking new ground in this tea industry and not just doing it, but also celebrating indigenous uh, 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 herbs and crops. And I, 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 I spoke to her and we got together and I told her that, look, I really need you to, you know, have your teas in my shop because um, I can't do what you have already done. So let's work together, you know, you can bring your teas there and I will then sell it as part of my honey offering because her product truly is excellent. And we saw great success, especially with COVID and how her teas were actually helping people to be able to steam and to be able to drink uh, because these are teas we grew up, these are teas which our grandmothers gave to when we were sick. Um, and she has done that amazingly well and I thought, you know, as one of my suppliers and as somebody who story i truly truly resonate with and really appreciate um, she could um, easily fit into the segment of being a guest of native nazi
0: <laughs> Khaladi, we're very short on time so i'm going to jump right in and i'm going to ask you to maybe tell us a little bit about uh, the indigenous plants that uh, you use to create the teas of house of indiza Thank you, Michelle. Thank you, Mohadi. Mohadi is truly our
2: ambassador. We really <laughs> love her. And our kids love her, raw honey. So I'm <laughs> Haladi Tema. I'm a bioscientist scientist by profession. Um, I worked with a big research company, the CSIR, for 12 years. I'm their buzzer holder. And um, while I was there, we were working on indigenous knowledge and value-adding into Indigenous knowledge. Um, I started with Sutherlandia tea, a very bitter tea, but an excellent tea. Um, And when I saw that the market loves um, the Sutherlandia tea, I then added more. And just before COVID, I had Atmithia Afra, uh, Lipia Yavanica, Ecliptus tea, and that just took my business to... A greater height another level that I did not even foresee
0: so, so working with the CSRR and I mean and, and focusing on the indigenous teas we have so many different brands in the South Africa don't we We do we do and um, we're looking
2: at the disadvantaged communities with their knowledge. You know, they have a wealth of knowledge. They've been consuming these teas. They have ethno-medicinal benefits, and they know that. They know what each tea does. But seeing now making rural economy thrive with this indigenous knowledge is really a step forward. Because that's what we want to do. Research must lead to commercialization, and that, will liberate or, or will generate economic benefits for the rural people which
0: is what we want to see. Khaladi, you're mentioning something that um, one of our listeners tweeted about as well, and it's related to what um, Mohadi does. Is this idea, and, and uh, Mohadi, I'll take it to you, is this idea that we don't have to go into town, but we can pull out into peri-urban and rural areas to create businesses out of indigenous opportunities out of farming in your case out of honey creation etc that is something obviously that you're very focused on if i look at your guests
1: yes um oh that is really true and also just um i know we're out of time but you mention um how bees also operate um and how we should also operate when they say buy local or eat local it's not because you know you're only stimulating the economy the, 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 the environment in which you live. Is the best uh, environment to eat from and to use resources from because those are the environments that are going to best complement your body. Uh, it's the same with honey. If you are sick, the best tea, the best honey to have is the one from your area. And now we are seeing it also with the tea and all other indigenously and locally grown uh, uh, crops and also locally grown uh, teas and any other thing that we consume.
0: Makadi, that seems like a good place to end it. If you had to uh, say one thing to our listeners about your journey. What would that be? Just start. <laughs> <laughs> just start.
1: Stop complaining. Stop talking about what you have and what you don't have. Start with what you have and let the wheel start rolling and everything else will find you on the way. Khaladi, would you agree?
2: Just start? 100%. Um, in my other life, I teach SMMEs how to present their business case to investors and spot on, just start. Start with what you have, and you will attract some guidance along the way. But like Mahadi said, we don't want someone says, I want to know everything. We want to hear your challenges and move you from point A to point B. That would assist.
0: Khaladi Satoha is the guest of our guest today, Khadi Mabela. She is the founder of Native Norsi. She can tell us everything about bees, about honey, and what it means to start a business. It's 10 o'clock. It's time for the news. It's no longer good morning, it's now goodbye.